All right. It's me again. Sorry, it always seems to be me this morning, but uh, here we are again. Uh, we, we're in the season of the Gospels. Every year during this time of year, we look at one of the Gospel stories, and we've been working our way of the, to the story of Jesus according to Luke. Um, we're moving closer to his journey to Jerusalem when he gets to Jerusalem. The sections between chapter 10 and 19 are a lot of teaching and interaction with the religious leaders and people as he, as he journeys from Galilee down to Jerusalem for that last trip. Uh, and today we're coming to a story you most likely heard before. It's a parable um, in chapter 18, Luke 18, if you're following along in your Bible or phone or whatever you got. Um, and one of the things about parables is sometimes they're really cryptic. You kind of try to figure it out and you think, What's he, what all is he saying? Well, at the beginning of this one, Jesus actually tells you what the parable is about. Or, or Luke tells you this is, this is why Jesus told it. Um, and, and so we're going to read it, but I, I'm also going to, something at the end kind of twigs me too. We're going to read the parable, then we're going to get some context around it. But we'll start by just reading it, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. See there, Luke's really helping you out. Yeah. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with one plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, it's a great parable. And like I say, the greatest thing about Luke is he tells us right up front what it's about. It's a parable about persistent prayer. That's, you see the alliteration there, all my seminary preaching professors would love that. A parable about persistent prayer. Jesus tells this story to give hope to those of us who feel like justice may never prevail. We've, we've got this cause that we feel heavy and we just pray and we pray and Jesus says, keep praying. Don't give up. We can rest assured that while the timing may be slow, he says justice will come. He, and he tells that by d telling a story, Jesus does this, uh, that draws a contrast. It's a Familiar motif, we see that in stories all the time. Two characters that are very different, set in opposition to one another to highlight something and to bring a point out. You have the persistent but needy versus the evil and powerful. These two sides of the coin, this widow who's very persistent, very needy, and this, this judge who twice it says he doesn't fear God or care what people think. The widow's needy. She wants justice against her adversary. Somebody's making her life difficult. Now, a widow, you've got to realize, is a low, on the societal ladder, she's the low rung. Most, most of society would have, even though may not said it out loud, they would have assumed that having your husband die means that you're cursed. Something, you did something. God's not happy with you. She also probably had lost a source of income. She was at the economic bottom. And in a male-dominated society, which this was this society, she could be easily taken advantage of, but she was to the magistrate asking for help. And he, in opposition to her, uh, powerful, very powerful, 
and yet evil. Jesus, Jesus describes him, he says he neither feared God or cared what people thought. And then again, even the judge describes, I don't, I don't even fear God, I don't care what people think, but I don't want this lady to beat me up, so I am going to help her, right? I'm going to get justice. In verse 4, he describes himself. He's only out for himself. He has no concern for the widow. There's no religious motives. You know, there's none of that guilt. You know, sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong motive just because we don't want to feel guilty about not doing it. He doesn't even have that. He doesn't care about the woman. He doesn't care what she thinks. He doesn't care what society, because some of the society would say, he's a jerk. He doesn't care. But Jesus says in the story, even though that is who this guy is, he will eventually bring justice for her because she's persistent. Now, here's where you have to start interpreting the parable carefully, though. Okay, don't, because what we do is we, we jump the gun. He's telling the parable to, to teach them to pray persistently. But their hope isn't grounded in their persistence. I want you to see that. He's not saying God's like the unjust judge and he'll finally give if you will just nag him long enough. If you just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, eventually he'll capitulate and give you what he wants. No, he's saying that even if an evil man will do this, how different must God be? Right? He's not, he's not saying you've got to nag God enough in prayer to get him to do what you want. He's saying if even the evil will do this, how will God? He's so different. He's teaching that when it comes to our situation that hope is grounded in the nature of God. It's grounded in who God is and not our persistence. doesn't mean we're not to be persistent, but the conclusion of the parable is not to draw these exact equivalents. He's drawing a contrast. If we look at it the wrong way, we carry away this idea, okay, I've just got to nag God. I mean, we don't say that, right? But, but I, I mean, I, I, I grew up thinking, and it, I think most, a lot of us do, that a prayer is like a vote. And if I just cast enough votes, eventually God kind of has to do what I want, or, or at least I want to sway it in that direction. I remember when, when Bethany was in the hospital uh, at birth, and, and Angela and I were talking, and she said, is that... If I just get enough people praying, is that how it works? Because I'll, I'll take, I'm, we're here in Vancouver, I'll take the phone book and I'll just start calling. Pray for Bethany. Pray. And, and a lot of times we just assume that's what he's saying in this parable. But he's not. He's, the whole point is God is different than the judge. Okay, so then why do we persist in prayer? That's, that's where the, the twist comes. How many of you have a friend a close friend that you know. <laughs> That's good. James has a friend, everybody. He raised his hand. Um, how many of you have a friend that you know that if you needed something at 3 in the morning, I mean, they may not be happy about it, but they would help you out because they love you, right? We all have one or two people, hopefully a few more than one or two in our life, that we feel like, yeah, I can. And that's what he's saying. God is this judge. God is not like this judge. God's the God who he, he cares about you. He's going to bring justice. Jesus is saying, look around you. If an evil and powerful man will help a widow because she keeps coming, how much more will God answer your prayers? It's a great little parable, but, but it does leave you with that question. Okay, if it's based in the character of God and not me coming persistently, why is the persistence so important? Why is that? If it's not a vote to sway God, if I don't have to prove to God that I really, 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 really want this, like a kid at Christmas, I want a red bike, I want a red bike, mom and dad, every day for months, right? I want this toy. 
if, if it's not like that, then why do we have to be persistent? And I think verse 8 is this twist that may give us an indicator. Because verse 8 is a very unusual ending to a prayer parable. See what he says? He says in verse 8, I tell you, he, God, will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't that, I mean, it seems like an unrelated statement. I was trying to think, you know, there are stories that we tell to teach lessons, parables. Uh, anybody ever heard of the three little pigs? Right? Three little pigs, uh, the wolf is coming. So they go build their houses, and the first one's kind of lazy. He, want, he doesn't want to work very hard. He builds a house of straw. The second one's a little more industrious. He builds a house of sticks. The third one is the one that is, we should all follow his example. He builds a house of bricks, right? And the wolf comes. I'm going to blow your house down. Uh, let me, little pig, little pig, let me in, not by the hair of my... Yes, you know it, right? Uh, and, and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the straw house down, and the pig runs it and just makes it to the stick house, Right? And then he says, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. Not by here, my chin, chin, chin. Blow, blow, the house goes down. And they make it to the brick house. And then he does, the same thing goes to him. He blows, and he blows, and he blows, and he can't get the house down. He's so mad. He climbs up on the roof, right? He jumps in the chimney. You remember the story? This is a kid's story. And he goes down into the big pot of boiling water that the third pig had on, and they have wolf soup for dinner. <laughs> That's the end of the story. You know, I don't sugarcoat it. Now imagine Jesus telling that story, but at the end of the story, what's the lesson of that story? Be like the the pig with the brick house. Do the hard work. Prepare. That's the lesson, right? But imagine Jesus telling that story, and at the end he would say, but why do animals have to eat each other? It's a whole different question. And that's kind of the way I feel, right? Pray, pray. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep praying. But the real question is, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Why? Why is this an unusual ending to the story? I, I think what you've got to do, you've got to realize perspective. There's a video, I showed it to you before, and I, I love this video. Uh, a, a guy named Michael Murphy does perceptual art. The way you look at it changes what you see. Can we run that video? Recycling plastic from a garbage dump. And he took plastic from the garbage dump so that when you look at the one, you see the plastic hanging there, and then you turn around and see the lady. I, I just love it because the perception, the angle that you look at something from often brings it into focus. And so what I want to do, we've looked at the parable a little bit. I've asked a couple questions, but I want to take a wide-angle view of the whole context, right? That, that weird phrase at the end of the parable points us back to the larger context of the passage. What's been going on up before this parable? What, why this parable now? And we see that Jesus has led up to the telling of this parable with a discussion that probably would have been unsettling. The Jews... All the Jews, both the ones that liked Jesus and didn't like Jesus, were wondering when the kingdom was going to come. And Jesus had kind of a new take on that. So let's go back to chapter 17, verse 20. This is what happened before. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, now realize Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth at the end of our parable? But when they said, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst, or some translations will say, is within you. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you'll, when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And people will tell you, there he is, or here he is. But do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning. 
which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember, Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other will be left. And then the disciples say, where, Lord? That's a weird question to me, too. Where? Where Why not why? Or where, Lord, they asked. And he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, Luke doesn't explain a lot about all this parable, all these words. But what's interesting, what we begin to see through this text is the context for the prayer parable is concern for the coming of the kingdom. The Pharisees, who were against Jesus, were like, let's figure it out. When when is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus speaks to it, right? And, And... and, and then he speaks to the disciples some really difficult words. He says it's going to be sudden, and there's going to be judgment and difficulty. And they say, where? And then he has this cryptic phrase, well, where you see the, the vultures, that's where the dead carcass is, right? In other words, you'll know it when you see it, right? You'll know there's something going on when you see the evidence. But both of these questions from the Pharisees and from the disciples set the tone for what Jesus is saying in chapter 18 because they're wondering when things are going to get better. They're wondering when God's going to take over. Now, from the Pharisees and the disciples' point of view, it's, they're under the thumb of Rome. They're the widow in the parable. They're the ones that feel like they've got an adversary against them, that's the, and they're, they're pleading for justice. When is the kingdom going to come? They want the kingdom to come and make everything new. The trouble is that the things that Jesus says about the kingdom aren't really easy to grasp. His teaching really kind of has two angles. He talks about the presence and the paradox of the kingdom. First thing that seems weird is they're, they're looking for the kingdom, and Jesus in verse 21, turning 21 says, listen guys, careful, your observation, your looking for the kingdom is not going to make it happen. That's not the way it works. The Pharisees actually believed, a lot of them believed, if they could get all of Israel just to keep the law completely for one day, If all of Israel could just do it for one day, then the Messiah would return. So he's saying, you guys working hard to make the kingdom come the way you think it's going to come is not the way it's going to be. In fact, he says the kingdom is here right now. It's in your midst. It's present right now. It's not that you look for something in a specific place. It's it's within you. It's, it's, It's this change inside that shapes the way the world looks to you and the way you live in the world. This kingdom that starts with you, remember Jesus would say, those who believe in me, out of them will flow rivers of living water. That the kingdom comes from inside of us, outside of us. That the way we view the world, the light within us, as Jake talked about, that shines out through our eyes, is the way we see the world differently. You know when you go to the eye doctor and they put the, how many of you go to the eye doctor? You ever done that? glasses, and they're like, this, tunk, tunk. is this better, this better, this better? All these lenses to try to get the better view. What's helped me the most to understand the kingdom of God is realize 
it's, it's a way, it's lenses that I look through to see the world. I see a situation, and I can look through the reality of the kingdom of God, or I can look through my own wisdom at it. It's, it's a way we see the world. It's already here in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that lives within me. This is the way the kingdoms come. And, and the kingdom comes, and it's present now, Jesus says. Well, then it gets weird because then he starts talking about, well, you'll be long to see the days of the Son of Man, but it won't be here. Everybody's going to be eating and drinking, and one day, boom, it shows up. So what does that mean? I thought you said it was here, Jesus. And that there's this paradox. It's, it's here, but it's coming. It's, it's inner, but the outer fullness of it is, is coming. That will be the moment, the moment of purification for the whole of creation, the moment when things are made new. That's what he, he says, the kingdom is already here in your midst, but when I return, when that moment comes, all will be made new. It'll be a terrible and beautiful moment when, when everything will be made right. And that's the context of the parable, right? This longing for the kingdom, for things to be put right, for the oppression to end, for our adversaries to let us go, that's the widow and her adversary. And so what he's saying then is we need to continue to pray as we wait. It's a parable about living in the meanwhile. How do we live when we have the kingdom, but we don't see its full fruit yet? What do we do? This longing for the fullness of the kingdom is the widow wishing for relief from her adversary, wondering when it will all end. And Jesus says, stay faithful in prayer, persistent in prayer, but base your hope not on your persistence, but on the nature of God. Keep praying, always pray. Do not lose heart is the actual Greek where it says don't pray and not give up. Do not lose heart. And when you get this, you begin to realize we have to work at broadening our understanding of prayer. I mean, the concept of prayer, the, 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 the basic idea is fairly simple. It's interacting with God, talking and listening to God. A child can grasp that. We know how to have conversations. We know how to listen and talk. But I think we all realize that prayer is something that takes a lifetime to grow into, to learn the fullness of it. We need to broaden it. I mean, the disciples, I love that in, in, in Luke 11, 1. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, we can learn to grow in this whole idea of prayer. And when you see this parable of prayer following on the uncertainty of the future and the coming of the kingdom, it, then it begins to make more sense because of Jesus' last words. See, what he's saying is, they're in this place where they're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't look like it's happening. What do we do? And Jesus says, keep keep." Being in prayer, and I use the term being very intentionally there, because the issue is, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Not will he find people who like, I got my answer to prayer. Will he find people that, that have a living, vibrant, faithful relationship of trust with God? See, the goal of the prayer is to develop faith, and that means we have to be careful as we define prayer, we can't define it too narrowly. So I want to close today by looking at prayer, hopefully expanding our understanding of what it means to pray and what it, what it says to this parable that Jesus tells so that we would pray and not lose heart. There's, I'll give you five thoughts about prayer 
and I'm, I'm no expert on this for sure. I'm just going to tell you things I see and things I've experienced and, and things I'm learning and hope to learn more about. The first is, is, is really simple, but we don't really, I don't know if it's that we don't grasp the meaning or if we don't want to grasp, but in prayer, being with God is the most important calling. In prayer, being with God is the most important calling. And we teach kids to pray usually by asking for things. Say your prayers, tell God, ask God what and, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a huge aspect to prayer. But we also have to realize that prayer is way bigger than that. There's that story of Jesus going to Mary and Martha's house, right? And Martha's in the kitchen working, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets upset, and she's like, Lord, can't you tell her to help me? And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, that's a pretty dogmatic statement. But, but Jesus is being clear that being with him is the most important thing. Really, it's the only thing that you have that cannot be taken away. It's the presence of God with you. Few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And I, I've, I've shared with you about my own epiphany a few years ago. When I was, I was practicing this form of silent prayer, where, and it's, it, it's just where I, I, I don't talk. I just try to focus my attention on the presence of God, because the presence of God is with us all the time, all the time. We're always in the presence of God. But we don't always acknowledge it. We don't always realize it. So I would try to just kind of quiet myself and just turn my attention to the presence of God. And I, like you, have a million thoughts. Um, most of them are about basketball that come into my mind, right? But I, I just started practicing. When I had that thought, I'm just like, okay, you know when you're having a conversation with people and you get distracted and then you just have to refocus your attention on the person? Put that. I just started doing that, okay? I thought about basketball. I got this great play, but I can think about that later. I'm in the presence of God now. And as I did that over several months, just a few minutes a day, every day, it hit me one day that being in the presence of God is really all that I have that can't be taken away from me. But it can't be taken away from me. I could be a vegetable in a coma in a hospital for 30 years, and I'm still in the presence of God. And flowing from that, I'm still deeply loved by him. I, I don't teach anymore if I'm a vegetable in a coma, if I'm just on a life support. I don't talk. I, I can't serve. I can't do anything for God. And, and that was, there was this wave of freedom that went over me because I thought, oh my goodness, God doesn't love me for what I do. He loves me because I am, because of how, who he is. And, and, and it, was, it reminded me, and that's one thing I want to say to you, prayer is attending more than nagging. It's giving your attention to God. Like I said, I read this parable for years and thought I just had to vote enough times to sway God's opinion and get him to do what I wanted to do. And he was putting tick marks. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you want it? How bad do you want it? Oh, yeah, you want it lots. Okay, okay, I'll finally get... That's not the picture that the parable is telling. It can't be, right? Because Jesus also said, in Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. 
So how can it be? I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep telling him. He already knows. But if prayer is being with God, that takes the parable to a whole different place. Jesus told them this parable so that they would remember that they should pray, be with God, and not lose heart even as they're waiting. If in the waiting for the fullness of the kingdom, in the waiting for our adversary to be quelled, in the waiting for things to be made right, we stay focused in the presence of God and aware of his presence with us as we long for justice and for things to be right. If we do that, he will come eventually. Things will be made right. But he will also cultivate faith, trust, belief, peace within us. Right? One of the biggest things about being with God is, is if you can finally quiet yourself to actually be there, all of a sudden you realize he's the one in charge anyway. Most of the fear and anxiety in our life comes about because we think we have to fix it. We've got to make it better. How am I going to change this situation? And God says, why don't, you, why don't you just come over here and hang out with me for a while? And then maybe you'll get that I'm the one that fixes the situation. You don't have the stress on you. It's not your job to fix it, make it better. It's being with God. It's attending to him, giving him all your attention. Yeah, but Jeff, what about asking? What about asking? Because it says to ask, right? Well, asking is a given for sure. And, and, but, but I want you to see that, that asking for what you want and perseverance in prayer aren't exactly the same thing. I think we've equated those two. We think perseverance in prayer is asking, 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 asking. And I think perseverance in prayer is being. And, and as you're with God, you begin to see that petitions or asking is grounded in relationship. Of course you'll ask for things if you're with God. Of course you will. Look back at chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. It's totally expected that we will ask. But it's kind of like, I love that phrase, you know, putting the cart before the horse doesn't work, right? And sometimes prayer becomes petition. And that drives our prayer. All our prayer is asking, 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 asking. And think about a relationship with someone that you had that all they did was ask, 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 ask and never actually just spent time with you, never actually just sat with you, never actually listened to what you had to say. I mean, Scripture says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It tells us to ask. Of course we'll ask. But those are not the substance of the relationship. It's what comes out of the relationship. In your deepest relationships, of course there's asking, but there's also just being. Sometimes you can just hang out together. One of the, Angela and I, we, we're pretty good friends. We're coming up on 30 years being married, and uh, it, it gets better all the time. But you know what? One of our favorite things to do is she'll sew and I'll read. And we hardly talk, but we're in the same room. And, and, and it's just being together. And sure, I'll share something, and she'll show me what she's doing. 
But, but that's, that's a relationship that's deeper than her just asking me things and me asking her things. There's, it's a presence-based relationship. Now, asking will come out of that, right? But there's a part of prayer that's just being with. And I, I think it's the heart of prayer. That's why Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen, there's only one thing you really need. Only one thing that can't be taken away from you, and that's to be with me. Now, asking is going to be in that, for sure. I'm probably at, I don't know, in Martha and Mary's house. Maybe Mary asked Jesus questions. There was asking going on, but she was there and attentive. That's what I think Jesus is teaching in the parable. I think he's calling us to, to be with God and not give up, even if it looks like the kingdom isn't coming, even if our issue is not being resolved. We come to God, we rest in his character and his nature, knowing that justice will come and, and drawing strength from being with him. Because you see, being present to God in the paradox cultivates hope. Being present in the paradox is what, is what cultivates hope. It, 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 as we are with him, that's where we begin to embody faith on the earth. That's the reason that came in at the end. See, Jesus is saying, you're longing for the kingdom. You want relief. You want relief. But I'm telling you, come, be in the presence of God. Cry out to him, but be there. Don't lose heart. And you know what will happen? When I return, there will be faith on the earth. People will embody that life. That kingdom that is within them will flow out of them. Spending time with Jesus in his presence changes you. Another verse I love, Acts 4.13, the, the, the religious leaders call in um, Peter and John because they're angry at them. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something happened to those two guys from the three years they spent with Jesus and that little thing called the Holy Spirit that lived in them after Pentecost. It changed them. You see, the nutshell of the parable, I think, is we're longing for things to be better. And, and what Jesus is saying is, as you long for it, you're trying to control it, you're trying to drive it, you're trying to make it happen. And what you really need to do is open your heart before God and be in his presence. Uh, bring your requests, but also just be with him. That, that sounds really hard. I know, what does that look like? And how do I do that? Well, you learn it over a lifetime. It's, it's not something that's easy for us in our constant. I, I was with the basketball team this weekend, and we were waiting in a restaurant to get food, and literally there was not one second of downtime that they weren't looking at their phone, right? They placed their order to the waitress, and boom, it was out. And I was like, what is so important? Right? We, we live in a world that's constantly occupied, and it's hard to shut your brain, not turn it off, but to focus it on the one thing that is needed, the relationship with God. See, it makes sense in the parable because when we're seeing the, the lack of the kingdom or the waiting of the kingdom or the tensions or the whatever it is, our adversaries, when things don't seem to change, we're like, are you really there, God? We want to know. We want to know when will it come or or how hard will it be till it come? Or, or we want to make it come, but, but we're missing the point. The widow didn't fix the problem. She kept going to the judge. She kept going, kept going, kept going. And the problem got resolved. You see, 
the last idea about prayer I'll give you is we have to let action, our action, flow from presence and not fear or control. The Pharisees said, when's it coming? How are we going to get it here? And Jesus said, it's already here, guys. You, just, you need to make yourself present to the kingdom. Remember in Luke, we saw Jesus at Peter's house in Capernaum, and he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then he healed all these people that night and cast out the demons. And then it says early the next morning, well, he went out to a solitary place. That's, that's the passage that's coming up, Luke 2, 42 and 43. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the, of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Do you see what happened there? There's, there's, he does these things, and the people are clamoring to keep him doing things. But what does he do? He steps away from that, comes into the presence of the Father and the Spirit, spends the night in prayer, and realizes, okay, that, that those are all good things I did there, and, and I was supposed to do them, but I can't just stay here. I've got to go other places. Let your action flow out of presence instead of fear or control. How many times do we jump in and we take action? We say things. We try to fix it. And you know what? If we just slow down maybe, sit with God for a while, let go of those thoughts and kind of focus our presence on him, you might be amazed the things that open up. And then you, then you can come back into the situation from a totally different vantage point. You know, Luke says, just before, this won't be on the screen, but in Luke 12, 42, he says, he quotes Jesus, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Lots of, lots of churches, pastors, teachers, I hear talking about building the kingdom of God. If you follow the kingdom of God language in, in the New Testament, we either receive it, we seek it, we receive it, and it's given to us. We don't build it. We don't make it happen. It comes to us, and it comes to us as we spend time in the presence of God. The question is, will we attend to his presence long enough? Will we be persistent in that slowing our life down to open our hearts to God, or have, do we have to get busy and make things happen? I know it's hard. It's really hard. But that's why he's saying, always pray Always be with God and don't lose heart. And that, that kind of prayer, being with God in the midst of the paradox of the, is the kingdom coming, is my situation going to get better, that's what enables us to not lose heart until the day when it comes fully. Let's pray. God, we, we want to learn to pray. Teach us to pray. It, um, it seems simple, and yet we often feel ill-equipped. We come away from a time of being quiet with you and we wonder, did anything happen there? And I just pray you could help us to rest in the fact that being in your presence is enough. That we can make our requests known to you, that we can focus our attention on you, and we can believe that you do things in us through our time with you that change us. Help us to trust in that to grow in that aspect of prayer so that we will not lose heart until the day that you come. In Jesus' name, amen.